Hi, I'm Joe Quirk. Welcome to the Blue Frontiers podcast about all my favorite things, seasteading, the environment, special economic zones, and innovation in science, technology, governance, and society itself. Hello, seasteaders. I have the very big pleasure of talking to Oleksii Konasevich, whom I met in the Danube in a boat. Uh, in the 30-year anniversary of Liberland. How are you, Alexi? Thanks, great. Um, so pleasure to see you and to talk to others. Such a big pleasure for us to have you here. So Alexi is a PhD candidate at the University of Bologna, but you have a very cool PhD uh, program in law, science, and technology, right? Right, yeah. So, uh, uh, this is a consortium of universities, the University of Bologna is my headquarters, and now I am in Tilburg at the University of Tilburg. Well, actually, not now, (laughs) now I'm at home. (laughs) Oh, cool. One of the advantages of PhD is that they can move around. Yeah, that's great. This is, uh, it's called mobility plan. So yeah, I go to other university to see more, to know more, uh, you know. It's great. definitely fun. So we're going to talk about the subject of your PhD, but also about your involvement in Propi, the real estate on the blockchain platform, and also about your contributions to e-governance in Ukraine. So why don't we uh, start by uh, you telling us what has been your involvement in the referendum, in the blockchain-based referendum in Ukraine? Well, actually, it's not a referendum. Uh, well, we're, I was engaged in the group um, which introduced reforms in Ukraine yes. on electronic democracy. Well, referendum is one of the idea of, of general idea of electronic democracy. Well, first we started with this uh, known instrument of electronic democracy as electronic petitions. Yes. And I was the part of the team that wrote the bill in Ukraine to introduce these uh, petitions in Ukraine. So basically now in Ukraine we have this law and people are able to communicate with the government, with the president, with the parliament, with cabinet ministers, and with local governments in the form of electronic petitions. And that was the beginning, yeah. Okay, but I've heard you said that e-governance is not really enough to truly transform decision-making, and that if we want to truly improve it and decentralize it, and create real button of systems, we need to move to the blockchain. Can you expand in that idea, please? Yeah, right. So um, the thing is that uh, we can design any kind of relations like we want to have. Like just imagine we have a group of people and we decided that we interact peer to peer. We have democracy in our group and it's okay. But just think of it. In the moment, we want to digitize our relations. For example, we want to vote by using smartphones, whatever apps, and so on. In this moment, we decided to create our digital virtual reality of our interaction. Yeah. And we have to use our traditional electronic systems, 
server-based, central server-based. Yeah. And it means that while our logic is being decentralized, all in infrastructure is centralized and only one keeps that uh, control over this system. It's yeah. not good. So I, the blockchain is a way, not only like in, in logic, uh, in, in our mind to decentralize, but truly decentralized relations uh, uh -huh. based on the technology. So we don't need to trust anyone. We just need to trust mathematics and uh, the community that holds this uh, network. I mean, the, of course, we have to trust in general nodes and people. But this uh, trust is based on the consensus, on um, mathematical consensus. So, you know, yeah. Yes. The, the example of Bitcoin is a great example of how it works. Yeah, the, what you said reminds me of the equal marriage law in Finland, where around 30,000 individuals crafted a law on a Google Docs. And by so many people contributed, and there was a very good team of core, core lawyers and uh, equal marriage law no right activists uh, that were really really engaged with it so anyway by the end of this process uh, of these months the google doc was so well written that the congress had no other option but simply to pass it however it is kind of paradoxical what you've just said the process was very kind of decentralized i mean you can argue yeah but who wants google and all that like, that's a that's a separate discussion yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then it had to go through a traditional chambers of decision making. So mm. yeah, I, I really like the system actually of Finland. This is a great example how to introduce electronic democracy. Just because you know uh, the difference of the, their system is that when people create electronic petition, the parliament is obliged to treat uh, is at, as a draft law which is a bit different in other countries. Well, uh, mainly we couldn't make it in Ukraine. This is my really regret because we want people uh, to have this um, the power of creating laws or at least draft laws. Now it's not, but this is, uh, let's say, the first step. I believe that many countries can also uh, make this. I mean, um, not only to make a draft law, but think of, of a, a referendum. So when people create their, uh, let's say, national law, and on the basis of national consensus, they adopt that law instead of parliament. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Um, what other, um, why can blockchain-based, blockchain governance provide that e-governance can't? In line with this decentralization, what specific tools, maybe identity registration or what sort of, of things can we do on the blockchain that we cannot do simply on the internet? Well, uh, there are actually a lot of benefits of um, having blockchain on board. Mm, I, would, I would focus uh, on the idea of creating infrastructure. Just uh, it's a brilliant idea. Just think of it. Um, governments spend millions to maintain uh, infrastructure of electronic governance of this of this system but uh, for example for Bitcoin nobody actually won in charge of that this is completely decentralized we create the whole infrastructure nobody cares exactly one to maintain this infrastructure and for that reason 
this is not corrupted, this is not centralized, it completely works. Yeah. Like people are incentivized to, uh, to, 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 uh, to take their machines and add to the network, install the networks works and without anyone's will. So this is a great idea. And then when we have this infrastructure, we can build on top of that our decentralized system. And um, uh, what I don't like about uh, government right now, uh, centralized systems, is that they are not transparent. If they even uh, want to make some kind of uh, public registry, it is still centralized. Well, even if it's open, if you can go online, you're not sure if this information is correct, if it's kept uh, correct, if it's controlled by the government uh, correctly, if it's not corrupted, it's not a good idea. So anyone, I always have to trust the government. I always to trust. And the, in case of the blockchain, I don't need to trust exactly one person. That information goes to the blockchain. It, stored permanently and I definitely know that nobody is able to alter or delete this information and that, that's great so when we we talk about this as uh, just my my ideas on uh, you know open data and other things we can call it not open data we can call it raw data because <laughs> yes. transferred exactly in that form which is created but when we uh, when the government collects any kind of uh, information in public registry, they somehow uh, process this data and then when they open, they call it open data. But I don't know how this data was processed by the government. That's yes. the problem. One of my PhD colleagues here uh, at Warwick, he's working on the illusion of transparency in open data of the government of France. So, you know, there's these algorithms to determine who gets housing, uh, what income do you need to have or no income if you have children or not. And mm -hmm. uh, then there's this secret algorithm. However, the government is obliged, now there's a bill where the government is obliged to publicly disclose all the information, but how, how they do it is very different. Let's say it happens also with companies like Facebook, Twitter, when they um, want to show that they are transparent, the format in which they upload it, it's like you just said, it's raw data. Okay, here's the CVS file. Uh, the data is just not analyzed. We, you don't know anything that we are keeping for us. It's simply what we decide to disclose. So there is still this illusion of transparency, even when yeah. governments are, as you are trying to show the theater of yeah. transparency, you know, yeah. only well, the theater. I, I, I don't know this researcher, but this is a very, very um, interesting idea. <laughs> illusion of transparency, right? It's an illusion. Yeah. It's definitely an illusion. I mean, un unless the algorithm <clears throat> is fully disclosed, Unless it's actually open, you don't really know what's what's going on there. And this reminds me of something that I heard you saying also, uh, that e-governance reaches some limits when, let's say, you are going to, I don't know, register a company. So you register your company online and then you go home and eat whatever. But then on the other side of the government, there is someone who takes that information and puts it in a manual, like, it puts it manually. It's yeah, 
it's it's actually ridiculous i mean yeah. that yeah. so many people talking about electronic governance yeah. that it makes governing more effective no. but really how how it's possible i mean that first we had this uh, paper-based bureaucracy when you go to the office you communicate with the clerk you have all these papers you wait for a long time why will it be processed by someone and then finally you got what you want i mean a company for example at registration <laughs> now they say okay we the governance is more effective but still this this is the same we use an uh, electronic system just to transfer information uh, from the citizen to the clerk who is in charge of, of keeping that information and processing information why why should we have someone there sitting in the office i mean this information a complete this process can be completely automated yes i can file a company just in a couple of clicks and add all required information well i i've heard some people saying okay these clerks are checking some kind of information like your identity or i don't know but for example in europe there is a great system which is called eids which is a, a, a system of um, digital signatures. So when I have my digital signature, a token, I plug in, and the system definitely knows that I am the one <laughs> who is, I, I know my person. So uh, I, I can do any kind of uh, actions online, and uh, they're gonna be legal binding. So I don't understand why someone has to be there, over there, sitting and manually processing all information. For example, they want to know if my company really exists uh, and um, is, is this correct address. It's not a big deal to check. Uh, there is no reason to keep a, a, a person in the office to check all addresses of companies manually. That's just uh, a cross-check or cross-databases. So I mean that it completely can be automated and there is no reason to keep all this huge infrastructure and spend money of uh, taxpayers on public administration. So uh, this is kind of my uh, research work. I'm working on how to address all these issues. Uh, we can keep any uh, kind of uh, e-governance, I mean um, any uh, activity of, of public administration in uh, registration companies, in uh, registration real estate, or whatever, any kind of properties, and it can be completely automated, or at least automated to higher level, at least as, as now. And so people will be able to get rid of bureaucracy, get mm -hmm. rid of all this uh, transactional cost. I mean, for business, it's a matter of being effective and competitive. Well, uh, just think of it. Uh, uh, we have business, for example, if uh, there is some kind of uh, technology emerging, business are trying to be competitive. They yes. take new technologies, they adopt, they implement to their uh, business and became more competitive. But look at the government. There are so many new technologies and governments are not incentivized to be more effective. I no. mean, they are so, so conservative and I don't see really much uh, efforts on using the blockchain technologies. On all 
those uh, announcements that one government decided to use the blockchain, another government decided to use the blockchain. It's really fake because when you go deep and try to understand what they're going to use, it's ridiculous. It's completely far-fetched. I, I have seen a lot of examples how it works. Uh, even uh, if we can uh, talk about not uh, blockchain as a technology, but cryptocurrency, you just yeah. look at, at this uh, situation in Venezuela uh, with Pedro coins. They are centralized. It's not a cryptocurrency. Uh, so how we can talk about the blockchain and the cryptocurrency and the centralization if really it's not uh, no, here in the place? Yeah. So this is the same point uh, that I know. I know that you say this thing, or and I agree with he, with you here. Permissionless um, blockchains. Yeah are the real blockchains. Right. Those that ask for permissions aren't blockchain. Why? I completely <laughs> agree. <laughs> so, you just can take um, Satoshi's white paper and read what he called the blockchain. The blockchain is the system which is designed and implemented first in the form of Bitcoin, right? So whatever it is, if it's not like this, I mean, I can argue and I can discuss uh, if it's a proof of work or proof of stake and other ways of consensus, but public consensus. Yeah. But if it's, uh, if it's controlled by someone, I mean, centralized, it's not a blockchain. You cannot call. Okay, there is another term. It's better uh, to, to, to call distributed ledger technologies. Probably it's the best way to distinguish the blockchain and some other things, some other technologies. I don't say that they are bad, but it's, it's, I think it's very crucial to, to communicate with people and correctly um, use these words. Because when you say, okay, the government gonna use the blockchain, and then when you see that it's not the blockchain, it's permission uh, system, distributed leverage technology, and it is controlled by someone. How we can call that the government decided to use the centralized system? It's just fake. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I absolutely, yeah, that is so true. Um, going deeper into your PhD research, uh, how can we use blockchain technologies to remove the bureaucracies that exist, for example, in registering uh, properties or titles? Well, um, this is kind of a um, complex uh, question because, well, actually, that's because I uh, because I'm doing my research. It's not easy to use this for registries on the state uh, level. Well, some think that um, some people think that it's not big deal. We just can use the blockchain as it is and use it for any kind of properties like real estate, boats, uh, cars, uh, and whatever. Well, in each country, we have specially designed registries for their purposes. For example, it's called cadastral registry or real estate registry. The thing is that uh, for a lifetime relations, uh, it's not a good idea just to use the blockchain as it is right now. 
and the concept of tokens uh, and others, it's just the, the problem is that we have to find this, you know, um, the, the, the borderline where we accept risks or not accept risks. For example, if we want to use token, a token to represent a title right for real estate, for a house, for example, if you have your house, you have a token. But in case you lost your private key, what's going to be the, uh, then? Yes. Or the, the, the owner dies and nobody has the access to this system. This and so you lost your house, you, you lost your property. It's not a good idea for lifetime relations. So we need to create some kind of um, preventing system. And this is very contradictive because we, we say, okay, the real advantage of the blockchain that nobody has access to your property, to your, uh, to your private, uh, to your address, where while you keep your private key, nobody can have access. And uh, on the other hand, if you share this access with someone, it's not now a trustless system. You need to trust someone. So I, I'm trying to draw this line. But on the one hand, not to create this huge bureaucracy like now we have, uh, the government that keeps this registry safe. And on the other hand, I don't want to mimic this uh, system and to transfer it and, and digitize in the form of the blockchain application, whatever. So I decided and came up with the idea that still we need someone to have access and to trust someone. But this someone must be controlled by, uh, by the publicity, by people, by electronic, um, let's say, smart laws, which are adopted in a democratic way by electronic voting on the blockchain, of course. And so people will be able to control those trusted parties. We need someone to trust. For example, we need to trust a notary that will um, precede inheritance issues when the owner dies. So um, uh, his, his uh, kids uh, will be able to inherit this token. So this is a trusted party, the notary. But still, I don't want to trust uh, the, the, the centralized system that, uh, uh, that um, manage this uh, public notary system in the country. I want to trust system that is publicly controlled by electronic uh, laws, let's say uh, electronic smart systems, which, is, which are controlled by voting of people. It's a bit complicated, probably it's not clear <laughs> for you, sorry, uh, if, if, if you want to research this, uh, investigate these ideas, I, I can show, you can find my, my slides with all these, you know, uh, diagrams that explains a bit <laughs> clearly. But uh, the main idea is that, first of all, we need to create this layer of electronic democracy, of electronic voting on the blockchain. So when people, and someone who we, uh, whom we delegate this right, for example, not uh, really necessary to always, uh, to, to any issue to vote. We can create some certain things where people uh, uh, make their decisions directly or they delegate this right to someone on some issues 
that they are not really uh, sensitive, for example. And so this way we can have this, you know, uh, govern a governing system, um, which is digitized completely. So when we vote, we are not uh, not like now when people go to the to the um, this voting point and after after the, this voting someone uh, implement this decision i mean this uh, we have still all these papers uh, all these things but this uh, is another uh, thing we just vote and this piece of code is implemented in the system automatically in the result of uh, our uh, voting so we don't need to trust even in this uh, case someone who is in charge of implementing this system? Of course, it's um, it's it it it, it uh, demands uh, people uh, to understand the court we are voting for. It's not easy. I completely agree because not really much people understand programming languages. But still, we have uh, public expert. We can have public expertise. We can trust uh, experts. We can trust people who really understand what's going on so they can explain uh, which system we are trying to implement and so in this way uh, other people i mean who are not really good in programming can understand what's going on well i i have one follow-up question and one comment so the question i'll say it so that you don't forget it in case i do is are you talking when you say third party a trusted third party you mean uh, a company or an oracle and my follow-up comment before i forget it although i think i already did okay yes so what you just mentioned is also a transformation that is taking place at the level well really slowly but getting there and eventually it will get there uh, in the level of lawyers and the profession of lawyers where they are now the ones who write, interpret the law, etc. But in the future, with the implementation of smart contracts, what lawyers will do would be to advise uh, the contracting parties and how to create the smart contracts or how to engage with them. So the lawyer will become a mediator between code and uh, individuals. I don't want to say legislation, right. then code will become legislation will become code. So you've just talked about transition in the profession of law. I, I like that. I'm going back to the Oracle question. Yeah, okay. Uh, great question. So Oracle is just a concept, a technological concept. It's not a, a, a role. Yes. So I, I mean, it, it is a role, but it's not a, a certain person. Uh, when we're talking about trusted parties, I understand on, um, that it's gonna be someone whom we trust. It can be uh, a company or a person or a, just a system of some institutions. Uh, so now when we talk about the government, we understand this is a complex of some kind of institutions and bodies, right? So this is the same. Uh, for example, uh, just to be clear, Oracle or which keeps track on demographic registry. You know, each company, Oh, sorry. Each uh, each uh, each country has its own uh, registry that keeps track birth, deaths, marital status, and some other information about uh, their citizens. 
So this is the same. I mean, we need someone trust, uh, to trust to keep this registry. And we decided, because this is an electronic democracy, whom we trust to keep that. And for example, in our system, it, it is very important because this oracle of this demographic registry will provide information to smart contract because the smart contract doesn't know when the owner dies. So this oracle will give this information and triggers the kind of system we want to trigger smart will, for example. And so this inheritance, uh, the, this token will be inherited by uh, successors. So this is just an example. Um, and back into your question about lawyers, this is a good example actually, um, that uh, we need someone who help people and I don't believe that uh, we can get rid of lawyers. I mean, we still need someone who is good in understanding all these issues. Yes. Uh, but the role and the, um, the expertise of lawyers um, have to be dramatically changed. <laughs> I mean, uh, once uh, the, one, one university asked me to give some kind of lecture for their students, lawyer students, I'm a lawyer actually, and first of all, I told them, guys, you are now like uh, 20 years old, forget about what they tell you about your, or your future profession. If your teachers, your, uh, your professor didn't tell you that it's gonna be completely different, so you're misled. Uh, the thing is that uh, the real uh, future profession of lawyers is to be good in all this technological stuff. Mm, of course, I don't expect that uh, each and every lawyer will become a programmer, but definitely, I mean, uh, just think of it. Uh, the main, uh, the high-level idea of Vitaly Buterin, if you follow his uh, his uh, development or the development of, of the Ethereum uh, project, he always says, "I want this uh, this language, whatever it's called, solidity or whatever, uh, used not by programmers. I want this language, programming language, used by lawyers." So lawyers will be able to design smart contracts and to operate people. So it's unnecessary um, in, um, uh, party in this uh, situation, the programmer. The programmer and the lawyer must be one person and it's gonna be like uh, a person who is in charge of uh, creating smart contracts, which are not actually contracts as we know it. The problem still that uh, Many people think that smart contract is a contract. It's not. So when you expect to see something uh, uh, like written on the paper explaining that one party grants some kind of rights to another party, it's not. Yeah. Just, it, it's just a piece of code that says, uh, using this uh, programming language, what to do. Says not to people, but to the machine. Yeah. This is very important. And one of the greatest example how people just realized that it is completely different was the story about the DAO and the Ethereum. You know, when the, there was a hard fork of Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, yeah. uh, some, someone um, 
an attacker, but I don't uh, want to call him an attacker, actually. He wasn't an attacker. He was an uh, unexpected beneficiary of this system. Someone says that it was a theft, but it's, it's very, very, uh, I, I, I don't want to call it a theft. Just think of it. They designed a smart contract and uh, the only terms and conditions this uh, organization had, it was just um, some kind of words like, okay, this is a terms and conditions and the only uh, uh, legal uh, source of uh, relations, of, of our relations is a smart contract. The, any interpretation of these Smart contract is just your interpretation or our interpretation. It doesn't matter what we think of this smart code, uh, smart code or smart contract. So this smart contract is kind of law for us. Uh, and when this attacker or unexpected beneficiary found this, uh, let's say, um, hole in this uh, contract, he just used. Uh, unexpected features of this smart contract to take these funds. And when we say it's set, probably it wasn't set. He just used this smart contract uh, and he was a part of this system. He found how to um, get benefits from that and that's all. So we need to prepare for this new reality when it doesn't matter what is written on a human readable language it is only matters how it is designed in the court that's all you've just made me think of uh, Kurt Gödel you are a lawyer I don't know if you're familiarized with Gödel's work on incompleteness theorems and completedness so basically and this applies to law also if you have a system um, that is complete, a mathematical or a logical system that is complete, then it cannot be consistent. And if you have a system that is consistent, then it cannot be complete. So I wonder, <laughs> with smart contracts, can you have complete, can you really avoid external beneficiaries when, when you design a system? By definition, it cannot be complete if you want it to be consistent, especially if we are using external frameworks that make it open and adaptive. Like, if we... Yeah. yeah. Can, okay. Can yeah. conference be consistent or complete? I, I will explain my, my idea how to address this issue, right? Um, I, I completely agree about this concept. That is why I am designed the concept of smart laws. Smart laws is a bit different than smart contract. Mm, it is still the concept of smart algorithms, but the role of smart laws is to be uh, the uh, higher level, is the kind of framework in which smart contracts are designed. Why? So the problem is that uh, if we design a smart contract which is not compliant with the law, the problem is that that's the, about the consistency and uh, the completeness of the system. So we never can predict all possible situations in our re relations. So we need something which is about it 
And in real world, in real life, when we have a contract, when we conclude the contract, we always know that there is, for example, a civil code that says, okay, uh, you can write this and this and this. If you didn't write this in the contract, uh, this uh, chapter or this clause is applied to this kind of relation. So we always know that uh, uh, this, is, this is a kind of help for us, the law, that will address all necessary issues. Even if it's not, we can go to the court, right? Yeah. So uh, the court will address all our issues and will decide who, is, uh, who has the right. And in case of smart contract, it's not like that. So we need something that controls uh, and by default, when we deploy a smart contract, we need to know that it's completely compliant with the law. Yes. So I decided to create this layer of smart contracts that we, uh, it, it, these are just smart, smart algorithms, but they regulate not private relations, but they regulate public rela relations what we call uh, inheritance, law inheritance uh, and some others. And in this way, they address uh, these issues. Uh, what else? Uh, and uh, the higher level, as I told you, will be the level of electronic democracy. Uh, that's what, uh, how, that is how we control the level of smart contract, uh, smart laws. So if we don't like, this smart contract, uh, this we don't like this smart law, we can redesign it by our public uh, collective decision uh, of citizens of the community. It's like, like a three layer thing. And right. One very important question. What happens when you have this really amazing world in front of you and in front of me and in front of us and ahead of us because it'll come. We know it. But then you have these really outdated institutions like the SEC regulating. What can we do? What was the problem with the SEC, for example? SEC is very... The uh, Securities US... Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, this is a general problem of governance and the paradigm of governance. I mean, just... Um, the thing is that uh, this body was created many years ago. Um, the law was written many years ago. It was more than 95 years, I guess. Oh my cosmos, what? Yeah. Well, and the thing is that uh, it was designed in the part, in the technological parting that they had in that time. They didn't have electronic systems. They didn't have a um, decentralized system. So they need to uh, address these issues with uh, securities and exchanges. The problem was in that time there was fraud and people didn't trust to um, corporates and companies that issue uh, securities and trade on markets. So they created this body. And the, um, one of the main um, tasks of this body is to keep the registry. This is a centralized registry, and that registry keeps information about who issued what. So when, uh, when businessmen issue some kind of uh, securities, 
and there is a record in the registry and we know this person his address uh, who is in charge of and uh, we know everything about this uh, uh, situation and that helped to get rid of fraud so people just cannot take money and go away yeah. i mean when there is a record that you obliged and you have to do and you have to to, to follow uh, the, 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 these rules the thing is that now when we, we can use the blockchain there is no need to keep that registry because we know who issued what on the blockchain and nobody can delete this information if you issue uh, your tokens I mean, the only thing that we have to identify this person this is first, and then when we know who issued what, it is completely transparent and nobody can delete that information. So you cannot say, no, I, I, I'm not obliged to do this. It is written in the system. It is written in the smart contract. Moreover, it can be performed automatically without your will. So that's the actually the answer of that question we don't need this commission at least in this um, design form and this uh, doing these uh, tasks and keeping this centralized registry of course we need to fight uh, still we need to fight fraud we need to still uh, fight to some other uh, problems but this is different story I mean, when uh, this Security and Exchange Commission now says, okay, you have to register first in our centralized registry uh, what, you were, what you want to issue your tokens or whatever. Why should I register uh, this, this fact in this registry if it's completely transferred on the blockchain? Yeah. That's the problem. So when, uh, when someone asked me, well, uh, how can we live without public registries? In general, not not only in sec, uh, security and, and exchange commission, but how? I, I, the answer is simply like that. The blockchain is a registry itself. We don't need any other registries. That's all. Yeah. Why do you think that cryptocurrencies must and should be legalized? Um, this is actually the. Um, uh, Actually, the continuance of the, uh, the question why we need uh, public blockchains and why there, there are no place for uh, permissions blockchains, if, and it's not a good idea to call them uh, blockchains at all. So uh, the cryptocurrency is a kind of blood of the system that incentivizes people to add their uh, computing resources their machines to the network to share and in this way this uh, network is maintained so nobody controls this uh, and nobody in, in charge of keeping this infrastructure alive so uh, we need the cryptocurrency as a blood of the system if the government does not recognize the cryptocurrency and in that moment, the government says, okay, we're going to introduce the blockchain. Don't you think it's a kind of contradictive thing? Yeah. I mean, they first, they need to recognize the right oh. of people to use cryptocurrency. In this way, we can have public blockchains. And 
in this way, we can have and we can develop uh, our decentralized applica applications on top of that public blockchain. That's all. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, you have also written about the transformative power of moneyless economies. Yeah. Why? What do you mean? <laughs> well, actually, um, I didn't prepare any kind of uh, uh, discussion on this um, on this uh, talk. It's just uh, ongoing research. So I will give some only ideas. I'm not sure how it works. I'm probably, I don't know, someone wants to join this uh, research work and to share uh, his ideas with me. But uh, just think of it. Uh, a lot of people say, okay, or I mean, um, crypto enthusiast says, okay, the cryptocurrency will beat the fiat currency. And the cryptocurrency will be the only way to people to interact and to work with. Uh, but the problem is that we still think um, we evaluate everything we have around us, not in, in uh, cryptocurrency. Just uh, if I ask you, uh, how much is your phone? Uh, you can say, okay, it's uh, 300 bucks. But if I ask you, how much is it in crypto? First, you need to think, okay, what is the exchange rate? And then how to, well, but still we have, we, we, we um, have laid everything in fiat currency. This is the problem. Moreover, people are buying um, uh, cryptocurrency to earn more fiat currency yeah. this is the problem so um, I think this is the wrong way for cryptocurrency uh, in general so this like um, just a secondary technology to uh, to the technology of money uh, in general and while uh, the, um, there is a um, money prevails uh, in that form, in fiat uh, form, yeah. the cryptocurrency is a kind of secondary. Yeah. Um, so I think that we need to develop ideas how to create values of, um, how to actually to create values in crypto. So uh, the best way I think is that um, commodities will be represented by uh, by tokens. So this is just uh, the same when we're talking about the tokenization of economy. So if everything is represented, everything we know, I mean, by tokens, in this way we can create a new layer of uh, direct um, exchange, not uh, through the money, but direct exchange. You can exchange bread on your bicycle, or I don't know the ma the mouse for your uh, uh, travel tickets or whatever. But for that reason, yeah, <laughs> we need a, a new paradigm of um, of values. Yeah. I, I would say, and this is a completely new theory. <laughs> yeah. Even even if if you try to find ideas on barter exchange they are still based on something which is similar to money, which uh, not really what I'm seeing that uh, should worse to research. 
So I'm actually doing this research, how to address these issues and to create this layer of direct uh, exchange of values without, the, without money, actually. That's very interesting. Um, what other things can be tokenized? Let's talk about, for example, the tokenization of energy. Mm -hmm. oh, well, energy is still the same. I mean, if you open uh, the law, uh, you, will say, you will see that energy, electricity is a commodity. So this is the same. We just need to tokenize all these uh, things and to create the pre-market uh, and well uh, the problem is that our energetic now is centralized um, by decentralizing it by creating uh, uh, by using alternative sources uh, of generation of electricity for example we can create the community with which is completely uh, uh, independent from centralized networks yeah. but the problem is that when we just imagine our community which is uh, probably will be a sisters yeah. sisterhood community um, shall we have uh, homesteads or seasteads um, decentralized or we still need a company that uh, manage our relations I mean the electricity, how we manage all that uh, market. Um, the idea is to create, to tokenize electricity and to create this free market where people can share uh, tokens to buy and sell in this way to nobody need to, you know, to maintain the system and to create centralized market of electricity. Yeah. Um, so my idea is actually to create uh, this concept of micro decentralized microgrid based on the blockchain and to evaluate what we have in, in the result of that, if it's possible to, you know, to, to use for in the real world. I like that. Um, so uh, before we close, why don't we talk about the DAP? You're involved in, the, in an ICO, in a successful ICO of Propi. Uh, for doing real estate transactions and put linking together buyers, sellers, investors, um, registry. Tell us a bit about Propi. Well, um, yeah. Um, so the last summer there was uh, a, a startup and they created uh, the ICO, they, they, they made uh, the ICO and they asked me to help them to consult them on issues related to uh, real estate and tokenization of real estate. I thought it's a great idea. So I decided to help the startup and I took part in this ICO. Um, and uh, I really, really appreciate them to, to first to raise this issue of real tokenization of real estate and to create the system of, of uh, of real estate registry um, and now they are trying to do it it's not easy I mean the problem of all this story is that uh, the domain of real estate is highly regulated and if you want to use it for real estate it's not just possible for one country to in one night 
to decide, okay, we have this system and let's use it. It's gonna be just ridiculous. Uh, so first, there is a long story with negotiation with governments to start the first pilot project. And yeah, I hope all the best for this pro uh, for this company. And I still uh, am trying to help them to address all these issues. And if they succeed, probably we'll see the first example, the first pilot project somewhere in the world that addressed all these issues and created this online system to manage title rights completely online, peer-to-peer, -peer, without the government, without notaries, without brokers, brokers without any other middleman. Uh, and actually, I, I will be happy if anyone succeed in that, in that uh, story. Uh, because this is just my dream and as a researcher, I wish all the best to any other initiative in this field. I have a solution for overcoming all those regulations that land-based real estate has, which is to seasted instead, seasted in international waters, starting from scratch. Yeah, right. Uh, the idea is actually, uh, when we think of in implementing all these ideas, uh, the idea to reform existing system on the land makes so huge headache. Yeah. I cannot just imagine how we uh, transform all the system. Pro I have an, an idea how to do it, but probably the best way is to start from scratch somewhere where there is no legacy, where there, there is no um long uh, history of regulations and relations just from scratch uh which is called uh, in in liberland they call it terra nullis which from latin uh, the the null the land with no uh, history yeah and like for, yeah yeah and for for seasteading uh, probably is just a great idea because uh when you go beyond this line of free economic zone of each country 200 uh, miles i guess yeah. uh, this are uh, a free uh, free zone for anyone to develop anything they want uh, so i decided to follow this uh, concept and actually the thing is that i uh, i follow the uh, development of this idea probably since the very beginning of the year 2007, I guess, where uh, Seasteading Institute appeared. Um, and this is a great idea. So we can design this system and to experiment with that, to pilot that, and probably that will be a great case uh, for other countries. Uh, and probably it can trigger a lot of changes in the world yes. so this is my hope this is my belief that uh, by uh, uh, by such people as you and others we can do something like that together and i, I believe that's not a good idea to mimic uh, everything we have we know in uh, to mimic all these bad ideas just thinking that oh we don't have any other uh, alternative we have we can just think of it and to decide what we don't like in this uh, current system and what we want to implement in new system. Yes. 
Yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, Alexi, thank you very, very much for this really, really insightful almost hour. Yeah. I, I, I definitely learned a lot and I hope we have the chance of talking again in the near future. Yeah, thanks, thanks for you. I mean, I really appreciate this talk and I believe this is just the beginning of uh, new ideas, new uh, projects. Yes. And I'm very happy to, to continue that. Oh, we will. I'm citing you in my PhD, so we need to talk again in the future. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the Blue Frontiers podcast. To learn more about our work and find out how you can support the project, visit blue-frontiers.com or visit our social channels. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Blue Frontiers, or shoot us a note via our website. If you learned something and enjoyed the show, tell a friend or leave us a positive review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our show and remember to join us for the next episode. See you next time.